Well, it really is uh, an honor to be here with you this morning. I was just thinking about it uh, just now. Um, You know, if I do well, it's good, you know. But if I don't do well, it makes you love your pastor all the more. So if I tank this sermon, you'll be thinking, we can't wait to get our pastor back. And so it's really a win-win situation for you this morning, either way. And that kind of takes some of the pressure off me, right? Um, but no, I'm very, I'm very thrilled to be here with you this morning. I was honored when Adam asked me to, uh, to preach in his absence, his large shoes to fill. And so I'm very, very happy to be here. And I know many of you. Or some of you, let's put it that way. And so it's good. It's good to be here with you. Uh, by way of correction, I think I forgot it down there. In your bulletin, I have a typo there, and I I have to correct that. Otherwise, uh, my MDiv professors will come back and take my degree off the wall. Um, it is not the first point. Is not verses two and three. Is verses one to three. So God's total provision is going to be found in verses one to three. God's complete protection is 4 and 5, and then God's eternal praise is verse 6. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are thrilled that we can live in a country where we can come before your word on a Sunday morning and we can openly sing songs that worship you and glorify you and remind us that, that we are not you. And Lord, we can come before your word and we can apply it to our hearts, Lord. We can dig down into it, Lord. We can, Lord, we can gaze intently on it. And Lord, we live in a country where that's possible and we're grateful for that. Lord, we do pray for the countries today where people are gathering, uh, hiding. Uh, Lord, we pray for them. May, may you bless them and bless their time together. Bless us, Lord, as we look intently at who you are and what you do for us as our great shepherd and host. In your name we pray, amen. Psalm 23 is kind of a dangerous psalm to preach on. I recognize that. It's one of our favorite psalms. Uh, we, we all seem to know it. Maybe we haven't memorized it, but we know it well. And so it's a psalm that's in our hearts. Maybe you've got a little cross-stitched Psalm 23 on your wall or something, or a bookmark that has Psalm 23 on it. Uh, you've probably heard many sermons on it. Uh, But it never hurts to go back, does it? It never hurts to go back and look back over things that the Lord is doing and has done through his word in our lives. And it it never hurts to remind ourselves who it is that's shepherding us. So with that in mind, let's read Psalm 23 together. David, the psalmist, says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What David's going to get into in this psalm is teaching us about God's all-encompassing care for his children as shepherd and host. And I I entitled it The Shepherd's Care, but it's really the shepherd and host, uh, his care for us. And we're going to walk through this, just kind of meander our way through this psalm as we pick it apart. But The L.A. Times headline from March 21st, 1991 reads this, 83 sheep 
gorge themselves to death. Their owner may be herded into court. Livestock rancher faces a misdemeanor charge after an, an employee allegedly dumped the carcasses into the ditch. The article goes on to say the trouble began because the grass really was greener on the other side of the fence. The luscious-looking alfalfa attempted 83 sheep to eat themselves into a terminal indigestion. Their stomachs exploded. They just go wild, the rancher's wife, Marie, said. Later on, they don't know when to stop. Technically, the 83 animals died from a malady called bloat, a gas buildup from the digesting of alfalfa that causes their stomachs to literally explode, says Dr. Patrick Ryan, a veterinarian with the county health department. Odd way to start a sermon. But the issue that that article talks about is the issue that our text talks about today. Because the real question is, why did those sheep die? Now, we got the technical answer from the veterinarian, uh, Dr. Patrick Ryan, the county health department in 1991. But why did they die? Why did they really die? And it leads to the bigger question. Well, we, it kind of talked about it a little bit. They can't stop eating. They don't know when to stop. So the question is, where was the shepherd to tell them to stop? Right, And I actually think the article goes on to say that they broke through a, friend, a fence and then they went to the other side and they started eating. But the question again remains, where was the shepherd? What was the shepherd doing while his sheep were eating themselves to death? What, were, what was he doing? The text that we're going to be looking at today uh, talks about life from a sheep's perspective. And I think that's a genius, literary genius of David, is that he puts his name at the top. So that helps us understand who's writing this psalm. And he says, it's a psalm of David. And we know that David was a shepherd as a boy. And then he grew up to be the shepherd of a nation. And so I wonder, as I read the psalm, was David, was David ever a shepherd sitting there as a boy, watching his flock in front of him and maybe viewing other shepherds around him? And I wonder if he ever wondered what it's like to be a sheep in my care. Do the sheep enjoy being in my care? Would they rather be in his care? What makes me a different shepherd from him? And maybe he also noted the difference between the shepherd's care and the hireling's care. Because the hireling is just the day, the day labor guy, right? He comes in, watches the sheep, doesn't really care about them. He just wants to get them back into the, to the fold at night so he can get paid. But what's the difference between the, the two ways that those guys looked at their sheep? And so here, the, it's fun seeing how David reflects, but not as the shepherd, but as the sheep. What's it like to be a sheep in God's flock? What's it like to have him over me? What's it like to have him as the shepherd? He starts off making a statement, uh, and this first statement is going to guide the first three verses. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And this opening statement contains a metaphor for us, and it controls, and the rest of it's going to defend that metaphor, but the Lord is my shepherd. But before we get even into the metaphor, we have to look at, at the Lord, the Lord. In Hebrew, David moves the name of the Lord to the front of the sentence, which is odd. You don't normally do that in Hebrew. You would start with, you would start with the verb. But here he moves it for you can't really tell it and you can't really make it out in English. 
the Lord is my shepherd, because it makes sense for us like that. But David moves God's name in the front. He wants to say it's the Lord. He wants to underline it. He wants to highlight it for us. Yahweh is my shepherd. And the metaphor that he uses with this shepherd isn't just Yahweh is like a shepherd or Yahweh is as a shepherd, like a simile, but here it's Yahweh is a shepherd. So when you think about what a shepherd does for the sheep, when you think about how a shepherd acts towards his sheep, a good shepherd, that's how Yahweh is to me. But notice how he uses the, the possessive there. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And we have to be careful here. What he's, what he's not saying is, uh, my shepherd in the same sense I could say the beat-up Honda in the parking lot is my car, right? He's not saying it's something that I possess, it's not like when I was a kid, we used to trade baseball cards. And, uh, and back then, I don't know how it is now with baseball cards, but we'd ride our bikes down to the, to the gas station and get the little pack of cards that had that terrible tasting gum inside the pack, and it lasted maybe 15 seconds. Uh, but you'd eat the gum, and you'd be looking through the cards with your friends, and you'd see if there was any new cards. If you had any doubles, you know, that was important. Oh, I already have this one. But if you have like three of one card, then you take a clothespin and stick it on your bike tire onto the spokes. And so as you're riding, it would, you know, that's what you do if you had more than two. But there we would take our baseball cards and we would we'd show them to each other. Oh, I have this guy. Oh, I see you have that guy. This isn't what David's saying. He's not pulling out his shepherd cards going, oh, well, I've got Yahweh as my shepherd. Who do you have? Oh, you just have a hireling, huh? I've got Yahweh. That's not what he's getting at. He's getting at the Lord is my shepherd, as in I belong to something. Like my children would say, Joshua Dozro is my dad, right? I belong to him. I, I'm part of that flock, so here the Lord says, or uh, David, excuse me, says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I want you to see real quick before we get into that second phrase that it's not just any shepherd that he has, this is Yahweh, this is the eternal God, this is the everlasting God, this is, this is the name of God that we get excited about because it says, I've always been God, I will ever be God. There's never a time in history, before history, or after history, that there was ever anything but me. I'm the, I'm the covenant God. I'm the loyal God. And I've bound myself to you. That's who I am. That's the shepherd. And David says, that God is my shepherd, but not because I have him in my pocket, but because I belong to him. That's going to govern everything else. And look what he says. It's current, right? It's present tense. He is my shepherd. He's constantly my shepherd. He's not my shepherd on Sunday and every other Tuesday, but he is daily my shepherd. He's daily shepherding my life. But the result of it is what we see in the second part of verse 1. The result of Yahweh being David's shepherd, he says, I shall not want. And it makes sense in English, but it lacks the grammatical punch that Hebrew has. See, there's a difference in, and even in English, how we say do not do something and never do something, right? If you're at the pool and you're running, a lifeguard should blow their whistle. And what are they going to say? Do not run. No running at the pool, right? Do not run. They're not saying never, ever run for the rest of your life. They're saying do not run. But we can think of some pretty, pretty common nevers that we should apply to our lives. And the one that comes to my mind most often is never jump out of a plane without a parachute, right? Just never do that. There's a guy that did that, I think, last year. And I think that's because he didn't hear this message. Never jump out of a plane without a parachute, 
That's just something you should never do. So there's a difference between temporarily not doing something and never. David uses never. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I will never enter into a time of my life where I need something that the Lord hasn't provided. And there's a difference also between need and want, isn't there? Sometimes we want things. We want a lot of things. We want stuff. But that doesn't mean that we need the stuff, right? You may want a Lamborghini, but you probably don't need it. You need a vehicle to get you around. We want things, and that's different from needing things. He says, because Yahweh is over me and shepherding me, I will never in my life enter into a time of life where I I have need of something, a valid need, and God will not provide it. What a statement. Because the almighty God of heaven and earth is my shepherd, I will have my most basic needs always cared for, and I never have to worry about them. He goes on, though, and he doesn't just end it there. The progression moves forward. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And the first detail that pops off the page as we read this is the fact that it's he, 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 right? This isn't David doing the action, but these are, this is David receiving the action from God. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He guides me. This is the sheep saying, these are all the things that the shepherd does for me. And the first one is, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He brings me to the lush grass that I need. He brings me to the things that I have need of. Now, sheep, apparently, uh, will eat just about anything that's on the ground. So they'll eat things that are good for them, and they can even eat things that are bad for them. They're just controlled by their thought of need to eat. So a good shepherd is going to lead his sheep to, to where he needs to go. The good shepherd knows where the green grass is. The good shepherd knows where to bring his sheep. Again, this is a big difference between the hireling and the shepherd because the hireling doesn't really care. The hireling will bring his sheep out and bring them to dead grass, and he doesn't really care. He's just watching them. In the night, he wants to bring them back in. He's not worried about how they're growing or how they're, how they're doing. He just wants to make his money. And in fact, the L.A. Times headline that we read of sheep eating themselves to death, they died precisely because the shepherd wasn't worried about them. The shepherd wasn't watching over them. The shepherd wasn't caring for them. He's concerned to find sustenance that will grow and fatten his sheep. As I was reading about shepherds and studying shepherds, often the good shepherd or good shepherds would go and they would actually sow seed in fields early on in the year so that they would know grass is going to grow there. And then they would sow sow seed somewhere else so they could know they would bring their sheep to the different fields and they know where they were going to bring them. They would take care of them. And in verse 2, it continues, he leads me besides quiet waters. Kind of saying the same thing, but a little bit differently. He cares for me enough to know where to get my water, but it's not just that. Sheep need quiet water. Sheep are afraid to go into water. Sheep can easily drown in water because their wool gets covered in water and it absorbs the water and gets extremely heavy and they'll drown as they go in to drink water. So here, the loving shepherd leads, leads me, leads the sheep beside quiet 
waters. And again, reading about shepherds, at times they would go into a river and they would set up rocks and kind of make it to where there's this little eddy of, of calm water for the sheep to enter into so that they would know where to, where to go drink. And he also says, he restores my soul. And I love this verse here because it's not just about one particular action, but the, the Hebrew here actually talks about an action with an end result in mind, right? So I think, of, I think of a physical therapist helping someone who's struggling with some kind of issue. The idea isn't, they're not helping them do one movement so that that day uh, is the end result. But the end result of physical therapy is to get the person walking again or something like that. The end result of a trainer training an athlete is so that they can win a race. It's not for that day. And here the good shepherd shepherds his sheep to the point of restoring their soul, restoring them to an area or a place in life of an ideal condition. He's so concerned for us that his care for us is purposed. Then he goes on to say, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Being of his flock, being a sheep under the tender care of the shepherd, he's led in the right paths. That's what the Hebrew actually says there. It's the right path. He leads me, he leads me in the right track. And, and this is something where I think we can all connect a little bit more with this psalm. We're not, most of us, I don't know, aren't shepherds of sheep. Um, most of us, however, are living life walking down a path. And think about the application of this for a moment. The path that you're on, I don't know your path, but the path that you're on, that that way in life that the Lord is leading you is right for you. That's your path. And that's easy to be happy about when things are going well, right? When the birds are chirping, there's a light breeze on the air, maybe... You can smell the eucalyptus. Things are just going well. Life is good. We can praise the Lord easily. But what about when life gets difficult? What about when tragedy strikes your family? What about when cancer comes or death of a loved one or loss of a job? What what about those times in life? It's a little bit harder to think I'm on the right path. Most of the time when we hit times like that, we start thinking to ourselves, what have I done wrong, right? Lord, why me? And we start actually turning it around to potentially blaming the Lord. Why have you put me on this path? I love you. I've served you. I care. Why did you do this to me? But I want you to see, I want you to see what he says there. It's governed. This right path is governed by something. The reason why you're on that path for his name's sake, right? The reason why the things that are happening to you are happening to you are not for your sake. The reason why the shepherd has you on your path is for his name's sake. And it's easy when we look back in our life, we can see times when that path was difficult. I remember a couple years ago, one of my daughters um, potentially had uh, a life-threatening situation or the doctors thought she had something that could take her life. And I remember Spoiler alert, it didn't. I remember, though, thinking in that time how hard it is and praying, and Lord, what's going on, and, and why are you bringing this in our path? But, but we have to remember it's for his name's sake. 
The Lord recently, uh, in, throughout my life, the Lord has allowed, uh, has blessed my path with some different health things. I've got malaria that I got back um, when I lived in Brazil. Um, or not lived in Brazil. I went to Brazil on a missions trip when I was 15. Came back with malaria. And recently we found out that I have a, an autoimmune um, issue. And, and it's easy to start wondering, Lord, why? This isn't, you know, we think this isn't good. This isn't good. Why do you have me on this path? But we're on the path, not for my name's sake, but for his name's sake. Right? The path that, that the Lord has brought me on and the path that the Lord has brought you on with all the difficulty and joy is for his name's sake. You're not on your path for your glory. You're not on your path for your comfort. You're not on your path so that things will go well for you and so that you will be high and lifted up, right? The Lord has you walking down your path for his name, for his glory, for his greatness, that you would lift him up and that you would magnify him. Someone recently asked me with all the things that, uh, that I have, they said, how is it that you keep doing what you do? I know someone, they said, who is curled up on a couch. And I said, well, what am I going to do? I'm on this from, for the Lord, right? I'm on this path for his name's sake. And if I curl up on the couch and whine, how is that glorifying my great God? And I share that with you. And I don't share that often, but I share that with you to let you know that I, I understand that life can be difficult. It can be hard, but you're not on the path for you. You could take, take courage. The reason why what's happening is happening is because you're here to serve and honor and glorify the Lord on your path. So we've seen in verses 1 to 3 how God demonstrates his provision for our lives. As a loving and kind shepherd, he brings us to where we need to go. He cares for us. He, he brings us to the things that we need in life. And nothing is lacking in our lives. I will never be in a state of my life where I need something that the Lord will not provide. There were times, um, we were missionaries in Italy before coming to the States. We were there for 11 years. Actually, my wife is Italian. We met and married there. Um, and there were times we were supported missionaries, but we were somewhat under-supported missionaries. Um, I remember specifically a time we had, we had about 10 euros left in my pocket, and this was about five days after payday. After bills were paid, after everything was there, I had 10 euro. That's, that was about $8 at the time. And I sat there thinking, Lord, we have a month to go. How will you provide? And it's easy to start being worried about that. But, but the Lord is my shepherd. And I can say this. I, I can't remember all the ways, but there was never a time when we didn't have food. There was never a time when a bill wasn't paid. There was never a time. And the Lord provided in different ways, in amazing ways, but there was never a time, never a time, when we needed something that we didn't have. So we've seen how the shepherd is the, is the, uh, gives us total provision in our lives. Now let's move on to number two, God's complete protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Well, the first thing that pops off the page as we read this is there's a shift in who David's talking to or about, right? Verses 1 to 3, it's he does this, he does that. It's all in third person. Well, now from verses 4 and 5, we see you, right? You are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. So here he's gone from talking about who the shepherd is to now all of a sudden prayerfully talking to the shepherd. It's like he started the psalm thinking, I'm going to talk about who God is, and he got midway through it and said, and started praying, Lord, this is what you do. This is who you are. And I love the scenario that David starts here. He says, even when I walk into the valley of deepest gloom, I will never enter into a state of fearing evil. Here, it's a strong statement. David doesn't set it up, and often our Bibles will say, even though or even if. But what he actually says here is, when I walk in the valley, you're there. When I walk in the valley, I will not be afraid. Again, he uses that, the difference between never and do not. Here he says, never. Even when I walk into the deepest valley of darkest gloom, I will never fear. And again, this is where we resonate with this because we go through valleys. We go through hard times. We go through tough times. All of us have them. Some of us are in them. Some of us may be coming out of them. Some of us might be about to enter into it. But we go through tough times and around us, all around us, the world screams at us, be afraid, right? Watch the news. After about five minutes, the world is screaming at you, be afraid, As you go through life, things happen, questions come into your mind, and the world screams, be afraid. I started writing some of them down. Do you have enough in your retirement fund? What happens if another financial crisis comes? Are we raising our kids well? How many kids should we have? Who should I marry? How will I keep my family safe? What is the best car alarm system to keep my car safe, my house All of these things, things in life scream at us, be afraid. Life is scary. Be afraid. David, David isn't afraid. And the question that we ask is, how in the world can this be? How can David say, do not be afraid, or I am not afraid? And to heighten the thought a little bit farther, if you think you have a lot on your plate to be afraid about, think about David. David's the king of Israel. At any moment, at any moment, one of the surrounding nations could march on Israel, kick down the door of Jerusalem, and try to take the palace, right? At any moment, any one of his people could be in danger. He's the king of a theocratic nation. He is responsible for everyone under him. That's a lot on your plate. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of deepest gloom, I will fear no evil. I will never fear, is what he says. How in the world can he say it? How can he go through life and not be afraid? Because the honest truth is, friends, our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are fickle. The smallest thing happens, and our hearts go, ah, and they start getting afraid, right? You know, it's true that it, we struggle not with, not with standing firm. We struggle because we, we're off on the other end. Difficulty happens in life, and we we tank, which is why I love the Psalms. The Psalms put together everything that we have, our emotions in life and our doctrine and theology, right? We all know people that can be easily swayed one way or the other. I know people that are are so theologically sound they have no emotion. 
death in the family happens and they go, well, that's what the Lord sovereignly ordained. And they don't feel emotion about it. And I think, you're not living. It's true, but you're not, emo- you're, there's no life. On the flip side, you got people who something happens, something the smallest thing happens, and they fall apart. They have no doctrine and no theology, and, and they just think, why? I don't know. And they just, they tank. David puts it all together for us in the Psalms, and the rest of the psalmists do. They, they bring and they wed together our emotions and our theology. Right? How many Psalms start off with, oh, Lord, have you abandoned me? Right? We all feel that. But then the psalm ends with, with you I'll do valiantly, right? With you, O Lord, I can stand firm even when my enemies attack. So the psalms marry those two thoughts together. And here David is marrying them together for us. And he says, I can walk through the deepest valley. I can, I can as a sheep, be with predators around me trying to take me. The sheep doesn't know where the crevice is. The sheep doesn't know where the, the raging river is. The sheep can do one thing, follow the shepherd. And here David says, even when I walk in the valley of deepest darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. I fear not because of the ever-loving, ever-loyal, ever-faithful, ever-watching shepherd is shepherding me. When life crashes in and things press in and it gets hard. I will fear no evil because you are with me. I used to think when I was a kid, when I was a kid, and I think this is kind of the hard attitude of David here. I thought I could walk through the darkest alley of any street with thugs all around because I had dad with me, right? I didn't know that dad wasn't invincible, but I thought he was. And so I had faith that I could go anywhere with dad. My dad could beat up anyone, right? Dad. And, you know, knowing what I know now, I probably should, but I wasn't afraid then. And I remember there's this one time we were going on a roller coaster and I had no idea what roller coasters were. In fact, I was about three and this is back in like 1982. And so this is back before probably a little stricter size limits on roller coasters. I'm a three-year-old getting on this roller coaster in England and the roller coaster was called the corkscrew. And you can imagine what was, I had no idea what was coming. I was with dad. Um, so I get on this roller coaster and the, the chest harness comes down, but it comes down to like right here and my feet are dangling and my dad retells the story. I can't remember it. He tells the story about how there I am going, you know how roller coasters do that and they do it on purpose and it's slow. It's just a scary, but I didn't know to be scared. I didn't know any better. I was with dad. So I'm looking down and I'm seeing mummy, right? Cause we lived in England at the time. Oh, look, it's mummy. And we're going up and I'm waving and we round the top. I still didn't know that I was about to enter the valley of deepest darkness. And, and we round the top of this roller coaster and my life changed that moment, you know, but my dad tells the story. There I am. My eyes are really big. My legs are like somehow wrapped up around this chest harness. I'm like not breathing. He's got his hand on me. And we're, we did the whole, by the way, I hated roller coasters. So I was about 12. So, but we got off the roller coaster and, and as any good dad would do, you know what he asked me? Want to go again? Cause that's what we do, right? You want to go again and expecting the no answer. But apparently my answer was sure. And I don't know why I said that, because again, until I was 12, I hated, I couldn't go on roller coasters. In fact, my sister tricked me on one to get on one one time, and that was not a good thing. 
But I said yes because, because my dad was with me. And I think that's David's, that's David's attitude here, right? Even when I walk through the valley of deepest darkness, even when life is pressing in, even when the wolves are howling, even when the world is yelling at me, be afraid. I will fear no evil for you are with me. That's powerful, isn't it? Right? We have, a, we have a loving, caring, supreme, sovereign God shepherding us. What can the world throw at us that he can't handle? What beast is there too big that he can't overcome? What danger is there that he doesn't see? We have him as our shepherd, and he provides for us, and he cares for us. Look what he says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. Those are two basic tools of the trade. Every single shepherd would have a rod and a staff in his, in his shepherding tool belt. The rod was a, a small, um, short throwing weapon. It was taken from a, a branch from a tree that would be cut off. And then as it connected to the tree, they would cut around where it connected. So they had kind of a knot there. And you can just imagine the shepherd as he's shepherding his sheep, just kind of whittling down on this knot, making it a round ball at the end. So it was a round ball with a stick coming out of it. That was his mid-range weapon, his medium-range weapon. As, as a wolf would come, a predator would come, or even a thief would come, he could ward them off with this by bonking them on the head or by throwing it tomahawk style. And they were good. They could hit things really well throwing these clubs. So he had a club with him for protection, and he had a staff with him. So the club's in the belt, the staff's in the hand. And the staff had a wide range of of uses. The staff could be used to poke and prod, and we've all been poked and prodded at times by God's staff to get us back on the right path, right? But the staff could also be a short-range weapon. If something made it past the club, the shepherd had to know how to use the staff. The staff could also be used to pick up a, a baby lamb when it was born. If the shepherd tried to pick it up and move it, the, the ewe wouldn't take it because of the smell of the human on it. So the staff had that little crook in the end, and it could be used to lift up the lamb and move the lamb without ever touching the lamb. Um, there are many things. Sometimes the, the crook would be used to pull a lamb near or pull a, a sheep near so that the shepherd can examine it to see how it's doing. I can walk through the deepest valley of darkest gloom, David says. Be, and he says that because the valley of shadow of death is not in the Hebrew language. It's valley of deep darkness, of gloom. When I walk through those, and when I do, because I do walk through them, it's not if, it's not hypothetical. When I'm in that valley, I fear not, because you're with me. You're armed to the teeth to protect me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I have, a, I have a shepherd who cares for me and guides me and leads me to the things that I need. He brings me to the right kind of food for me. He brings me to the right kind of water for me. He, he restores my soul. And not only that, he's leading me down the paths that he's leading me on, and it's for his name's sake. So when I get into difficult times, I can remember I'm not here for me. I'm not alive for me. I'm not taking breath for me, but I am here for him. And the breath that I take, be it a pained breath, be it a breath taken in sorrow, whatever it is, I can take that breath and I can breathe it out in worship because I am here on this path for him and he cares for me. But not only does he care for me, he also protects me. Look how he goes on to say, 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup, or you have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. And this is kind of an odd thing because we look at that and go, why would God prepare a table with my enemies coming? This is kind of an odd metaphor for us. But this, I think David is shifting into a host-guest metaphor. And let me break this out very quickly because our time is coming to a close. But back in, back in that culture, and, it, and at times in the Italian culture, which I learned the hard way, and I'll tell you why in a second, um, it, was very, it was normal to have a guest come into your home as they would be maybe on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem or something like that. So as someone is walking down the road, nightfall is coming, um, the right thing to do, the culturally couth thing to do is ask them to stay with you. You may not want them to stay. See, we in our culture, we just don't ask, right? We just, but you ask them to stay because that's the polite, right thing to do. But it's also polite and right to, to say no. Thank you, but no, even if you want to stay. And this is where it can get confusing, right? There's a little bit of a, a cultural dance going on. I found out the hard way in Italy is somebody would offer something and I would accept. And my wife would say, why did you just accept? I said, because he offered. Well, he offered being polite. You're supposed to decline. And I said, but I wanted to accept. But you're not supposed to accept. You're supposed to decline. And if he really wants, then he'll ask you again. And see, that's what would happen in their culture. So the, the pastor buyer would be on the road and the, the host or the person living there would say, please come stay with me. That's just being polite. They would say, oh, thank you for asking, but I can't. Then the host can either back away and say, well, have a good night. Or they could say, no, really, there are dangers ahead. There are wild animals in this area. There are thieves out on the road. You really, you should come stay at my house. Be in my protection. And at that point, the guest can either say thank you or they can still say, no, really, I I really don't want to stay with you. Um, But it's this dance that goes on. If you accepted to go into someone else's home, then what would be culturally normal would be the host would have somebody wash your feet or the host himself would wash your feet. And this was huge because it would speak fathoms about your relationship. Now, you're no longer a guest just passing by. You're an honored guest in the home. The host washed your feet. And by declaring you an honored guest, you're completely and totally in their provision and protection for the duration of your stay. So if an enemy came, the host would be the one who would walk outside and say, I'm sorry, he's in my care. You have to go through me to get to him. Now today, most of the time, we go, oh, he's in the third bedroom to the back, right? Um, but, but, But that's not what the host would do. Back then in that culture, the host would stand up and say, everything I have is here to protect them. He's at my table. I've prepared a table before the table for him in the presence of my enemies. He can sit down and not fear because I will protect. So it's still this idea of protection going on. And look what it says. You've anointed my head with oil. This was kind of weird, but this is what would happen when you would come in off the street. Think about, think about having traveled all day long. You're hot, sweaty, potentially smelly, right? Because you've been on the road. This is pre-deodorant. So, so... You're coming into his home, but you're also fully aware that you might be bringing with you uh, an aroma. And so by anointing your head with oil, it would be a fragrant oil. And it would be an oil that would come down your hair, maybe get on your clothes, and it would be a nice smelling thing. Or what they did, what the Egyptians did, was they'd have this cone of fat, it was called. 
and it would be this coagulated cone of fat that would have perfumes in it. And when you would go into a house or like a party or something, they would put it on your head. And as the evening would wear on, your body heat would slowly start melting that and it would come down and it would cover potentially your body odor and those of the others in the room. So you had this cone of wax. Kind of an odd thing. We wouldn't do that. Um, So it's really hard for us to get into this part of the text. But it could be the equivalent of maybe offering uh, a a hand towel or a towel and saying, hey, why don't you go refresh in yourself, you know? If you want, do you you need anything? Um, Change of clothes or something. It would just be a way of saying, I want to care for you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Very quickly, let's jump down to verse 6 uh, to get this last verse in here. And this is, this is the, um, God's eternal praise. This isn't the praise that God gives. This is the praise that God receives. So here's David. He's finished recounting everything that the shepherd has done for him. Remember, he started probably saying, hey, let me just talk about the shepherd. But he got into it, and his heart overwhelmed with worship. And he says, these are all the things you do for me. And he starts listing them out. And he ends by saying, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here he's saying loving kindness and goodness. These are things that are going to hound me all the days of my life. They're going to pursue me, but not pursue me like I'm trying to get away from them. Where I go, they go with me. Your goodness is with me every day of my life. Your loving kindness, your covenant love is with me everywhere I go, all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember the whole host, guest, dance that went on. Well, normally the the guest would stay, the average stay was three days. That was the norm. So if you went into someone's care, you would stay there for three days. And so for three days, you're cared for, you're protected. But look at what David says here. As a guest talking about his host, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a house I don't want to leave. This is a house I get to stay in for the rest of my life. There are a couple ways that we can bring this psalm home to us today as we, as we come to a conclusion. There are two ways or two different implications that this psalm has and for two different kinds of people. And if, you, if you're here and you've asked the Lord for forgiveness, you follow the good shepherd as Jesus called himself and you're one of his and you follow his voice as he says in John 10, this psalm speaks fathoms to who God is for you. This is all the things that God does for you. And it ends with praising the Lord forever. And that's how it it should well up within us. This idea of super excitement about being a sheep in his flock. We should want to sing louder, sing longer. We should be more excited when we do go through the valleys of deepest darkness and we do go through them. We can praise and we can worship because we have a providing shepherd and a protecting host. We are totally surrounded by God's goodness and his faithfulness all the days of our life. This should well up within us excitement. And I hope it does that for you. If you're here today, though, and you haven't asked for forgiveness and you haven't thrown yourself at the mercy of Christ and you haven't said, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of salvation, then this psalm says something completely different for you. 
And I hope it comes down like a ton of bricks. But the reality is this psalm says to you, you don't have a shepherd who loves you and cares for you and protects you and guides you. When you enter into the valley of deepest darkness, he's not there. You will be afraid because you've got nothing to hold on to. When the world screams at you, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. You've got no one to turn to to say, no, I won't be afraid. I have him. You've only got you. And you might think that's noble and you might think that's bold and that's the way to go is to be on your own. But the reality is you need a shepherd. You need the care of the Savior. You need the protection. Who can protect you better than an almighty, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God? You are not even half that. If that's you today, repent. This psalm says to you, repent. Turn your life to Christ. And I don't know, because I don't attend here, I don't know you. I don't know if you have asked for forgiveness or not, but today is a great day for that. Give your life to the Lord. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Be my shepherd. Guide me through life. Protect me and care for me. Today's a great day for that. And if, if you want to talk more about it, I'm sure you can talk to any one of the church leaders here. Tim, who was up here earlier, you can talk to me if you want, but don't leave here today wondering if you should have said something. Repent, be forgiven, and be part of his flock. Would you bow and pray with me? Heavenly Father, your, your care for us is astonishing. Lord, when we think about who we are, when we think about, uh, Lord, when we know who we are, because we know us better than anyone. Lord, to think that you would care for us, that you would love us, that you would protect us. Lord, when we think about all those things that you would do for us, we're astonished because we're not that great. Lord, we're sinners and you've died to save us. And we're grateful. Lord, we're ever grateful. Lord, we're grateful that we have you to lead us, guide us, protect us, to care for us. Lord, you go before us and you go behind us. And we're excited and we're grateful. Lord, may our worship be ever deeper because of that. And Lord, I pray for those who are here who may have not given their life to you. Maybe they haven't asked for forgiveness. Lord, may they do that today. May today be the day of salvation. Lord, may they come to you with an open heart and an open, open hands and just say, Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. Thank you so much for David and for having him write Psalm 23 for us today. In your name we pray. Amen.